This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Good morning. Well, it's been another bad week for charities with both Console and St. John of God's in the headlines. John of God's for salary top-ups and outrageous personal spending at Console. And this follows on from last year's accusations of excessive executive pay and poor governance at organisations like Rehab and the Central Remedial Clinic. Now, even if cases like Paul Kelly and misappropriation of funds are rare, and even if cases like high pay are rare, are there a lot of people running charities whose hearts are in the right places but are doing doing things badly or worse doing more harm than good so when it comes to charities who can you trust in studio Sheila Norden is executive director of the Irish Charities Tax Research um, organization Debbie Deegan is founder and CEO of Two Children with Love that incorporates to Russia with Love a lot of people might know that Sally Ann Clark is proprietor at Le Crivon restaurant and Tom McEnany is a corporate PR consultant columnist and he's founder of IODP the International Orphanage Development program and you can text us at 5310 Six for thirty cent and uh, tweet us at talking point nt hashtag ntfm. Um, Sally Ann Clark, will you tell us what your connection with Console is and what you knew about Paul Kelly before it was all re- um, revealed on Primetime Investigates? Well, to be honest, we didn't know much about Paul Kelly at all. Uh, Derry had got involved years before our son died. He did cycles, he did different fundraisers, and then when Andrew died, Paul Kelly was over. We were offered counselling. We were offered all sorts of support which was wonderful and um, even um, they do a group support so myself Derry and Sarah May it was there for us Uh, there was uh, phone numbers there was anything you wanted that you know whatever you need us to do even the week of the funeral it was like is there anything you want us to do how can we help how can we be there so um, Paul Kelly then came over to meet Derry met myself and Sarah May and it was after that that Derry got much more involved and he did the Paris to Nice cycle himself and his other chef pals there was nine on the team but four of them were chefs and they did all sorts of fundraising and I'm, I, I don't want to be quoted on this but I think it was in excess of 280,000 that was raised from doing all the different fundraisers and I mean it took them six days to cycle from Paris to Nice and then it took them six months to train for it so then there's been lots of fundraisers before that since that I mean Derry there was a cheque that came in at the end of January for 26,000 euros from another person that uh, Derry had been working with and he said if this this and this happens he said who do you want me to give the money to and he made the cheque out to console so there's been well over 300,000 raised um, that the, we've either lodged the cheques yeah. or we've sent the cheques over to console. Now I know there's a lot of people who would have collected cash and would have collected whatever but um, the money was either as I say carried over or it was lodged in. So our only connection with Paul Kelly was at functions he would be there. Uh, there was other functions where his wife would be there where we'd be doing maybe the Taste of Dublin gave us um, Sunday afternoon um, another venue gave us different things so I would get in and help Terry and um, as would my daughter as would his chef pals when they were doing something we would help them so it was all a collective And, and what did you think of him? I didn't have that much to do with him to be honest mm. with you other than to say hello how are you? Mm. The deepest conversation I had with him was at a town hall meeting for Teen Line the end of March and again I do remember asking Paul because I know there's other charities that are being looked at at the moment and um, one of the things about Teen Line is they need help I decided 
to hold back and instead of going in with Dairy on Console I stood back and I thought well I'd rather go teen line and get to the kids before they Mm. do anything silly so he's been asking me over the years would I not come in with dairy would I not do this would I not and I said no I want to differentiate I said teen line is is you know where my heart lies right now and I asked him um, how did he make his money and he told me he had his own job and he was totally separate from console now this conversation only happened a couple of months ago when I asked him what he did the conversation changed he got up and he made a speech that day he sat down and again I asked him I said what exactly is it that you do and he changed the conversation and he moved seats and then he had to go so I mean I do ask questions but I never asked about the finances I figured and as Derry did that if Michael D Higgins was the patron that if he had won the People of the Year award that if he had all these other people that were supporting him that somebody somewhere along the line must have done their homework I mean one of the first things I did when I got involved with Teen Line was ask to have a look at their books and because they're a small charity and because I wanted to see where can we help how can I help what can you do but I never thought to ask with Console. Derry never thought to ask. You figure if somebody like the President of Ireland is their patron and they've got so many other high profile people in working with them that somebody somewhere has done their homework. So how um, did you react then when it all became revealed? We are gutted. I mean, poor Derry is just devastated and I am gutted and I don't understand how he got away with it for so long, number one. Number two, if there's been whistleblowers since 2006, why wasn't something done about it? And number three, um, the fact that he still had a set of keys even when, you know, they said, oh, he owned the house, he owned whatever. But I mean, if if that was um, a large public firm or a private firm, they would have been locked out immediately. They wouldn't have had the chance to try and hide files and take away checkbooks and do things like that. So the whole thing for me just beggars belief. And all the people that helped us fundraise, helped Dairy fundraise, all our customers, all our friends, all our family, all the people that said, well, you know, if this is what you want to do and if this is... And you've got to remember the charity, the people on the ground have been doing a fantastic job. I mean, the people that we dealt with, the councillors and the people that give advice, they are all amazing. And it's an awful shame that it's going to be wound up because I know Pieta House are going to take over the services. But what Console did and the whole idea behind it was amazing. So for him to do what he did, it's just... Uh, so many people are, are gutted. Sheila Norden, I'm struck now. I'm somebody who often complains about the media, mm-hmm. even though I work in it. But to be absolutely fair to RT and Primetime Investigates, we wouldn't know anything about this if it wasn't for them. Why is that? Well, I, I'm, I think, for, first of all, just let me say the charities share Sally Ann's, like, just gutted. And because this is not typical of the charity sector, right? Um, I think it's ex- extraordinary that Primetime Investigates had to, my understanding is that it was only when Primetime uh, was going in to investigate that the internal audit from the HSE was introduced. I, I just don't understand Yeah, that. so the HSE had been alerted. They did do an internal audit. You know, they were, the process was in motion. Um, it, it just seems to have been a bit slow. Well, slow. I mean, if, you know, 2006, we were, we were just looking to get a Charities Act, right? There was actually the first bill was produced in 2006 when, when the first... Um, employee of the of the of console actually raised concerns. Nothing happened then. I gather there was another in two thousand and nine. 
the year that the the act was uh, enacted, but there were no resources. We were in the midst of the of the economic crisis, so we were told, okay, well, while we have the act, we we don't have the resources to set up the regulator. But then again, in 2013, uh, it was raised. Um, and my understanding, and I'm, I'm only listening to the media, right? So I, uh, if I've got my facts wrong, I'm sorry. But um, was that the gentleman who who brought it to the to the uh, Department of Health and, and and the HSC was so frustrated that he went to prime time. Mm. Now that just doesn't. And this all predates because there's been a lot of there's been a lot of media attention, sort of saying the regulator and the toothless regulator. And my view on that is, hold on here. The regulator was set up in 2014 in September right so and it was um, it was set up on a limited basis we have been fighting I mean we're the only sector who has had to lobby to have its regulator and I've been involved in this since 2002 but I know that 10 years before there were reports on. and on why did you want a regulator because we knew that you, the sector can't police itself we recognised that you know it was always been uh, said that this sector is totally unregulated not totally true because over half of the charities in Ireland are companies so they're subject to the same company law as every other private company and the type of company company limited by guarantee they were a public company so they couldn't get away with no audits and there's another question that is raised like you look at the audited figures I, I, I just don't get it I looked at the I, when this blew I, I looked at the audited accounts and, and of the, console of console and yeah. the list of, of board members was there, right? Mm. Which is what was on the CRO website, which did not tally at all with what was sent into from 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 the coverage. But I mean, it takes ten minutes maximum to check on the on the website. It's it's easily available. A junior could just check that in ten minutes. Are the people that they say are on the board actually registered with 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 the CRO? So there has been a failure of the regulatory system that was there already. And I think that it would be really bad if if we were to undermine the the charities regulator. And thankfully, they're getting the the, the resources. And the resources, to be fair to the minister, were actually, uh, you know, voted in in the last budget. She had put the money there. The issue was getting sanctioned for the posts and having the people um, recruited in order to put in the kind of specialist uh, skills that are needed, forensic accountants, inspectors, invest the legal. Uh, it's a very specialist <coughs> type of area because they, they have the powers and that then they would commence part four um, of the Act. Debbie Deacon, it's part of the problem, you know, this regulator was set up, but there are 8,000 charities registered at the moment and I think there are another 1,500 in the process of being um, registered. We have a lot of charities in this country. Oh, yeah, we have. We probably have too many. I think, well, we definitely have too many, but maybe it's down to the fact that possibly Irish people act when they see something that they need, somebody needs help with, whether it's your next door neighbour needs to go to America for therapy or whatever it is, some child needs an operation. We instantly think, OK, let's raise the 20 grand for that family. We all do that all the time in this country. I mean, I was just Googling yesterday to look at other countries that I kind of hold as model countries in childcare like Denmark. Denmark have the same amount of people as Ireland living in their country, give or take. And they have 800 registered charities. We've 8,000. Now, does that mean that their government is doing the job? I don't actually know the answer to that question. But Obviously, somebody is solving their problems for them, whereas in our country, we I mean, there's too many charities doing the same thing. 
there's far too many people doing the same thing. The problem is trying to get the, I suppose, in a way, getting the egos of CEOs to work together. That's where it falls down. I mean, you now know. Now you're a CEO. How's your ego, yeah, Debbie? I, I mean, I've a healthy ego, I'm sure. But yeah. at the same time, I'm the only person in Ireland working in Russia. So there's no, now we have a project in Ireland as well. And, and also the project doing in Ireland is fairly unique. So we have chosen projects that are completely unique that nobody else is actually doing. So I, I'm not interested. It wouldn't light my fires to be doing things that loads of other people are doing. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I so so I'm happy enough with that. In, with that, but I don't understand. I, I understand why Irish people react to stuff because we're kind. We, we trust people. This is the problem. We've and all of course, trusted. It is a tradition. Um, so the HSE they spend three and a half billion funding uh, two thousand one hundred charity or voluntary organisations. But the vast bulk of that, in say the top one hundred organisations, would go to hospitals, for example. Like a lot of our hospitals were always run on a voluntary or a level. Yeah, it was it the means, nuns were doing stuff but rather than mean the state. That we're doing the job of the state. We're doing the job of this. Well, we're not as an yeah. organisation. The Children with Love are not doing the job of the state because we're doing something the state is not involved in. But other organisations, therapists, all these kinds of things should be available to people. Instead, charities have to set up to do them. And this is why we have eight and a half, ten thousand of them probably in Ireland. It's a ridiculous number. So, so that whole area has to be looked at. And if you're, a, we all should have licences to trade, I suppose. And to apply for your licence, you have to obviously should have to explain your reason to be you know and if a hundred other or a thousand other people are doing the same thing somebody there has to be an overall person looking at this because we're too quick I think in Ireland to to want to help to throw our money on the table and to trust and this is why we have 10,000 people not all of them most of them are good people Look at the women's marathon. Look at all those women out there running for charities. Every, like, look at the women's marathon. Those women that are running in that are amazing women that want to raise money for a child down the road. Uh, you know, the local hospice, whatever it is. Like, we're a fantastic country for giving and for trusting. But I think we're doing the job in a lot of cases of the government. Um, Tom McAnini, I admired Noel Smith, you know, the developer, and he's founder of the organisation, the Three T's, Turning the Tide of Suicide. Yeah. <laughs> and they were running a helpline, One Life, I think it was called. But they very consciously and deliberately shut it down last year because they said, you know what, there are too many of these big duplications. Yeah, and they were dead. You see that very rarely. In the area of suicide alone, there are 44 different charities operating in Ireland. And many of those charities are being supported by the government. Certainly many of the bigger ones. Uh, As I understand, there's about six or seven of those would have a turnover of over half a million, half a million euros. Maybe the Pieta House and Samaritans. The the big ones. Yeah, yeah. Now, they're being funded, many of them being funded by the government. The question is, if the government has decided this is a role it should have and therefore it's funding, um, wouldn't it make much more sense for the government to be doing this directly? It seems in Ireland, and particularly the HSE, the HSE has so many questions to answer over, over all of this. The um, uh, In the area of homelessness, I would argue that um, there are probably more, char- the, the, the number of charities involved in, in homelessness is probably greater than 44. I don't have an exact mm. number. And again, many of those are effectively semi-state organisations because they're receiving more than 75% of their funding from the government. Wouldn't it make much more sense for the government to be taking on that role directly? Well, would and it? If but not, yeah, if not, I would, I, I would suggest that in many cases, some of the charities are actually part of the problem because they're they're standing in the way of proper management of that sector. And if the government were to take proper ownership of an issue, be it suicide or be it homelessness, and say, OK, this is a national issue. We've decided we've got funding. We've, we've got the money there anyway. We're just giving it to third parties. We want to do this properly. Now, given the failings of the HSE in just 
the very, very basic regulation of the charities that it funds, you couldn't really with any great confidence say or have trust in the HSE to actually operate these services properly. But we should. We should have a HSE that's capable of providing these services and providing them directly and then leave charities for um, um, charity bodies should still have a role, but they should be just filling in the gaps and not be the uh, primary provider of these kind of services. I think what the HSE would say is that a lot of these relationships with charities have grown up over the years. It's a traditional link where there were organisations doing it and, and maybe correct. a lot of them are very good at so, doing it. So let's have a review. That's fine. Yes, yeah. they grew up and it, at the time, when, uh, for a lot of these charities when they started up, they had a very uh, uh, a, a role because there was nobody else providing it. But let's review it now. Let's review it across a whole load of sectors. Um, in my own area, which is uh, uh, in Belarus, we I, I looked at trying to consolidate a number of groups, trying to find ways of cooperating. Um, and in order to do that, I had to find out how many Irish charities there are operating in Belarus. Belarus is one small country, 10 million people. And there were at the time 45 Irish charities, small Irish just individuals, Irish. just Irish charities all operating in Belarus, many of them are doing the same kind of thing. Now, most of those wouldn't have their own administration, wouldn't have their own cost base. So, but at the same time, obviously, they would have benefited from coming together. I, we rang around every single one of them. Ultimately, we got about five or six that we ended up working together with in, in, in projects. A huge amount of So, sally on that, you know, if you take the um, uh, almost 50 uh, charities directly involved in some form of suicide care in Ireland, do you think there's a case for a bit of streamlining there? Well, all I can say is that um, I know a lot of people when something tragic like that happens, they will start a charity up in their son's name, their daughter's name, whatever. And um, if Teen Line had been the Darren Bulger Foundation, I probably would have gone behind another charity. But because it's Teen Line and because I feel that it has a, a place in Ireland, I decided that I would do whatever I could for them. And then I've other people have called me and obviously they've lost sons and daughters and whatever. And one of the first things was they said, why did you not open a charity or do something in your son's name. Mm. And I said, because there are too many out there. And I said, you're just depleting what's already being done. So I said, I felt the best thing I could do was get in behind an existing organisation where there was an administration, there was a set rule, there was goals. And I mean, one of the first things I had to do when I got involved with Teen Line was Garda vetting. And you have to do that every two years. And I mean, that's another thing that beggars belief about console. But I mean, I have another lady that rang me a couple of weeks ago and she lost her son. And same question, why did you go in behind Teen Line? And I said, because it gave her all the reasons. I said, they're an existing charity. They need help. Mm. I said, Ireland does not need another charity for teenagers. And I said, you know, it would be better for me to pull my weight. Have you ever said that to someone else? maybe who has set up their own organisation or maybe has asked you for money or to go to a lunch or a fundraiser. Have you had been able to say to them, I'm not sure this is the right way for you to direct your I have said to people that, you know, maybe, you know, and they said, oh, well, they want it. They don't want their loved one to be forgotten. I said they won't ever be forgotten. Um, I have said it on two occasions. I got myself into dreadful trouble because they said you don't understand. Mm. And this would have been before 
Andrew died. So um, now when I say to people, they kind of go, well, you know, that's the way you've chosen to go. But I do know that anybody I've spoken to kind of sits back and will ring me back a week or two later and go, yeah, actually, you've got a point and we're going to think about it. So I know there's one lady who is actually coming in and doing a fundraiser for Teen Line in the next couple of months because she said again, it would have been lovely to have something in her son's name. But she said she can do this in her son's name. And I said, that's what I'm doing. Debbie, have you ever had to say to anyone um, in your sector, you know, I'm not sure you're going about this the right way. There's a better way to do this. Do you mean to other charities? Yeah. Um, We're a little bit different, I think, maybe. Um, I have never really, I mean, at times donors have come to me to talk about they wanted to give money to here, there and everywhere. And part of the money was coming to us and they've asked me advice on, you know, should, do you know anything about this charity where they would be divided? Back in the day when we had donors that were coming in, I mean, donors now are thin on the ground, really, since rehab and the CRC. Big donors have completely dried up. Has it really damaged the sector? Oh, it's damaged the sector hugely. I mean, we're, to children with love exists in Clonton tariff and um, we're you know we're, we're so grateful that we're still there but I mean we're on the we're on the doorstep of the CRC which had a huge impact on us uh, and I think it was the rehab was either just before it or just after mm-hmm. it which is another kick in the teeth for us all but really I think the I mean, Irish people want to help which is a good thing we want to help kids we want to help sick children we want to help which is a fantastic thing for Irish people to, to do it, we're, it's not regulated enough and uh, so if, if the wrong type of person wants to do something like Paul Kelly on, up to now they were able to do and I have a very ethical board. I mean, again, coming back to the board point yeah, that she are, made. What are like, your... I have an unbelievable board of people, unexpensed, unpaid, blah, blah, blah. You know, all business owners, ordinary people. No, I didn't pick my board because they all have big egos or because they want to sit on a glamorous board. My board is not a glamorous board. So unfortunately, <laughs> maybe at times it could be a bit more glamorous, but it's not. And so the people that are in my organisation are there because they want to help the children that we work with. They're passionate about it and they govern what I do. I mean, I'm governed, you know. So they check the up on the world you. to do. Yeah. Oh, I mean, our accountant doesn't like doesn't allow people. Um, we have to have two people in our office to open an envelope. That right. is, that's been it's been like that since 1998. Yeah. Like Paul Kelly opened all his own post. I, I've often fought with our accountant about stuff like that. Going for God's sake, it's a ridiculous rule because there's never there isn't always two people in our office. We have rules and we have to live by them. Sometimes they're a pain in the ass, the rules, but we have no choice but to live by them because my accountant insists on it. And in turn, then the auditors watch everything. I don't, a bit like Sheila, I don't understand. I'm go- I mean, I'm not easily governed as a person, but I am governed. <laughs> like I'm actually governed by a board who watch me. Yeah. Our expenses are watched. Our, where we, where, I mean, my last hotel room in Russia was 22 euro. A night. So you don't have to worry about the likes of us. Do you know what I mean? So at the same time, I, my last hotel room could have been 500 euro. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But my board watch absolutely everything we do. Everything is governed. And I think there's a pr- huge problem because boards are not watching. There's, this, the calibre of the boards is not good enough. I have to take a quick break. I'll come back though. Instead of blaming the HSC and the government, should we be asking more questions about the charities that we give money to? That's after these. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about charities and trust this morning. And in studio, Sheila Norden is Executive Director of the ICTR. Debbie Deegan is Founder and CEO of To Children With Love. That's from To Russia With Love. Sally Ann Clark is Proprietor at Le Crivon Restaurant. And Tom McAnini is a PR consultant, columnist and founder of IODP, the International Orphanage Development Programme. And some of your texts, charities can never be trusted because the Irish are afraid to ask any CEO or board member two questions about how much money comes in and who spends it or writes the checks. 
Uh, Dan in Cork says there are a lot of greedy yeah, it's sad the way you see these are negative texts you know that's hurting your sector you know but unfortunately this is the side effect of these scandals there are a lot of greedy people running these organisations is there a charity in the country with clean hands on this issue the salaries in the charity sector brackets shudder are scandalously high there should be a ceiling for these chief execs they are not business people generating money they are pocketing money meant for the people in their charities should support and Debbie I'll come back to you on that on executive pay I know you've a point to make on that Colin said guys practically anyone can apply to become a charity nowadays schools hospitals religious orders are all charities this is why there's so many of them and Wayne and Cork says the charity sector is in crisis the salaries of CEOs of many charities and NGOs are excessive and immoral the retort by CEO lobbyists is that it is the industry standard or that if such and such worked in the private industry they would get more well my answer is well let them there are so many well qualified well able people out there willing to do the job for less and with the right spirit charity is now synonymous with industry it has lost its heart and soul Um, Sheila Norden perhaps that first text there you know the Irish are afraid to ask any CEO or board member. I've done it myself. People that I know have been raising money and I've written the cheque because I know them and they're probably nice. But ultimately, I don't know where the money has gone and I am afraid to say, yeah, well, that's fair enough, but I'd like to but see you your accounts, be. please. You shouldn't be. And I suppose the, I think we have to get better at asking for the accounts. And if you can't read the accounts and they're not clear, then you need to be asking questions or thinking twice um, so I think that you know mo- I, I think the problem with all of this is like everyone's getting tired with the same brush yeah. I can guarantee you there are charities out there operating to very high standards they have you can go onto their website now you can see all of the information produced there but there are also other websites and that's why you know Debbie was talking about there should be a licence the register will be the licence if you like to have so from now on you will have to charities will have to actually um, submit their annual reports to the regulator and they will be published there. But in the meantime, there is a um, there is a website out there called Benefax, which has been developed uh, with the support of the sector. It's something I've been involved in in the past and but driven by Patricia Quinn. And, um, and, and I have to say, it's funded by both government and by philanthropies. But the, the battle to get it there was, was quite strong. So, I mean, you know, this sector has had to battle to get the, the kind of transparency that we want so that the donors can actually be confident that I am looking at this charity and I can look at their accounts, I can look at, um, you know, what they're doing, I can see how the money has been spent. So, benefacts.ie. And there's another one, actually, the Irish Independent Weekend Review section today, Kim Bielenberg does a big feature on it and he's got a side piece about another one, goodcharity.ie and the kind of thing, good charity you be yeah, Goodcharity.ie will give you the idea of the questions you should ask. Yeah. Benefacts.ie has captured all of the regulatory information about right. every civil society organisation. Charities are a subsection Um, so that you can actually get their accounts there. You can find out who's on their board. It gives you a summary of of what they're doing. So if that information isn't there, you need to be asking questions. Tom McAnini, is there another problem though? Look, I'm absolutely sure the Paul Kellys are extremely rare. You know, that's got to be the outlier. Um, But are there other charities that are doing work, but maybe they're just not doing it well? I think that's a huge issue, I th- and I think you're right. My, and I, I, I wouldn't have evidence, but my my, pers- uh, my own experience uh, uh, working with a number of different charities is it's very rare that you see the kind of fraud that you're seeing in console. Obviously, anywhere you put people and money together, there's going to be some element of fraud, and <coughs> where you get characters like like Paul Kelly involved, it's going to be it's going to be all 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 the more, uh, all the greater. 
The real issue, though, and uh, one of the questions that and I'd, I'd, I'd imagine um, it, it's one of the questions Sheila would say people should be asking is how impactful are yes, the charities? Absolutely. If I give a euro or 10, if I give 10 euros to this charity over here, how much of that 10 euros will go to actually making a difference and how much will go on n- not on chief executive salaries? OK, that's probably a bit of a red herring because there are very, very few charities, uh, chief executives of charities that are on very big um, uh, salaries and they're the ones that make the headlines. But how much of it, first of all, how much of it will actually go to the people I want to help and will nine euros of that be spent on marketing and PR and buffing up the, the, the or even leaving aside egos just mm. putting that charity in, in, in uh, as, as front of mind all the time and there's probably a few charities out there where that is the do case Do you know charities where you've seen what you would I'm not consider. going to name I'm not going to name individual charities because they're not here and because I don't have I don't have evidence I believe I know I, I would have anecdotal evidence from talking to other people that there are well known charities in Ireland where an awful lot of the money is spent on, especially on marketing and on fundraising and where, and there's only small numbers of them. And but, you're, but you're a columnist. You, you come on shows like this. Right. Um, you would have an opportunity maybe to speak to those kind of charities at conferences and things that you might attend. What obligation do you put yourself under to challenge those particular organisations? That's a fair and reasonable question, Sarah. And probably, possibly not enough is 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 probably the right answer. Um, and why don't and you? For, for a couple of reasons. I suppose the biggest one is that I know that if I go out, unless I've got really hard evidence there's something going wrong, that if I go out and say, um, <clears throat> um, uh, shout about individual charities, about charities in general, that people are going to be giving less and uh, that the less money is going to be handed over. We're that all I'm going to be, that yeah. I'm no going to be, yeah. you know, that I, that I'm wary of holding charities, the other charities up to uh, to account because I'm wary of the impact that will have on charities in general. And that's that putting my hands up. Yes. Should I be doing more? Could I be doing more? Yeah, like probably. If, like, mm. I totally agree with that. We're, we're nearly all afraid to talk here today because you just feel it's more. I mean, somebody there on your text said, you know, is there anybody there with white hands or something? Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. I have white hands. So and I'm quite happy to stand up. I mean, the, the Irish Independent did an experiment two years ago and came into our office. They asked us, could they? And the board gave permission. And they they did an examination of 15 years of our books because um, we're 18 years old. So it was two years ago they did it, 16 years of our books. And we sat in our office in Dublin and they put an accountancy firm in Galway and we could watch the arrows going across all our screens we weren't controlling it an accountancy firm in Galway were controlling it for the paper Owen Murphy did it and I didn't know Owen Murphy at the time and he'd interviewed me beforehand and um, like I felt kind of sick thinking oh jeez you know 16 years he's you know what I, I was standing over this and um, they were going to print the article warts and all so they looked at all our banking systems all our receipts all how we ha- how we handle everything how what our expenses are what we spent on flights what we how we operate in Russia how we everything the whole shooting gallery um, and then a week later we had to we had no control over this um, article and I, I did feel th- I, I kind of thought that it was terrifying actually uh, it was a complete expose now as it happened it was glowing um, when he when he when he came back with it but I do think we you know I do think more we have to be wa- not that we have to be watched but the whole sector is it's time it's time for change yeah. look at the guys in Grafton Street selling direct debits they stop old ladies they stop, stop students they stop they need to be taken off the streets in my mind now that's my yeah. personal opinion like okay. 90% or something ridiculous of what you're giving to that direct debit person is actually going on admin mm-hmm. you know that needs to bucket bucket uh, stuff oh, now I we heard about the bucket they got 30% of everything that well, they you see, selected well, all of these, you know the, the people who stand with the buckets and shake them at you for you're money pay- like they're, they're being paid 
they were being paid. Well, you see, don't some of sorry, some of them are being paid. A lot of our, a lot of, a lot of our funding some, comes from buckets, like and none of them are ever paid. Some charities have their volunteers out there, and you know, sell, like they say, the daffodil people. They're, they're all volunteer ladies selling mm. the daffodils. Some people, some charities are employing bucket rattling companies, so they're paying the admin on that. You know, yeah. those guys in Grafton Street selling the direct debits, I wouldn't touch them. I wouldn't touch, when I see Debbie, people I, I, being I stopped. Say, I think you have Sheila. to be careful, really very careful on this because the, the what is happening in, in, in direct debit, there's people, you know, the, the people who hate the direct debits most are probably the people who never sign up, right, number one. But number two, there are a lot of charities who actually use this. Uh, an example would be Concern, it's all in-house. There are some charities who pay for the service, but over the longer term, it costs money to raise money. And I, over I, the yes. longer term, they really deliver because not only do they deliver uh, I, I'm signed up to direct debits, by the way. Right, well, so, so am so, I. Yeah. yeah. And mm. over the longer yeah. term, mm. they deliver the change that you want to see. Sheila, the best way to get money uh, is but, direct but, debits, but, but I agree. Also, but yeah, not but, from the Chuggers in Grafton Street. But, 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 you, but well, you, there are... You, you, you're not handing over money on Grafton Street and the charity is behind. The charities are behind all of those where there's there are, st- you know, very strict uh, controls in place. What's so the that the charity... F- 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 the, the cost of recruiting a donor in year one is expensive, yes. but the 10 year return makes it worthwhile. But it also, crucially, gives you contact with your donors so that I'm getting emails now from the CEO of the charity that I support telling me, by the way, here's where you can find our accounts. Here's where, you know, I just want to reassure you or whatever. Or they can let me know about what's happening in the country because I, I, I tend to support an overseas one. I worked overseas myself. So you actually have a contact with your donor. One of the difficulties we were talking earlier about, like when you're running event fundraising, something like the console happens, you're just wiped for the next you know, number of months because anyone trying to raise money, it's very difficult. Whereas if you've got donors who know you and you have, I, I know because you also have the donors who really know you and they will support you because they know what you're doing. Yeah. So yes, we need to ask the questions. Yes, the sector needs to get used to and embrace scrutiny. Uh, but the notion that one type of fundraising is better than another, what we have in place are standards uh, and guiding principles for how this is done. Exactly like you say, a minimum of two people opening the cash, but equally in relation to um, to, to the, the direct marketing on the street, the, the direct debits, there are... Um, you know, there are standards in place and, and really? fundraising. Yes, fundraising. We have developed them with res- support from the government. Like one of the things that when the when the legislation wasn't happening, ICTR, uh, working with funding from the government, set up the statement of guiding principles for fundraising. So there are statement of guiding principles for fundraising. The sector came together, the umbrella bodies. We set up uh, standards of governance. So there's a governance code. And the third piece of the jigsaw, and we call it the triple lock, is the... Um, the financial reporting standard. There is a standard for charities. It's called the standard of recommended practice. No, I know uh, we're a small, humble charity. Debbie. We're not up there. We don't pay. We don't pay Debbie, fundraisers you know, to rattle you, You're buckets. actually not a small charity, believe it or not. I looked at your accounts last. Not because I was worried, <laughs> but, but, but we no, are. But you humble. think you are? You think, think oh, you are, are humble, humble? And I think we all should Absolutely. be humble. Absolutely. And I, so we don't pay the big boys to go out mm. and rattle buckets for us or whatever. So maybe I could be. I, I just yep, I, sure. I balk when I see all of these students all over the streets, yeah, tackling sure. people to sign up, give bank account details in the middle of graphs. I just don't understand it. It's not something mm. we've ever done. Mm. But to Children with Love, is it, I, I would consider us to be, we're obviously medium-sized charity, mm. but we are, we are in 
I'm touch wood, but we're, we're I'm able to always say we're lily white. We're very we're oh, run yeah, by I, very ethical people. Absolutely, this is the, it's all down to the board. I yeah, think it's absolutely. all down to the board. It's all down to the board. And on that, I'll take a break. We'll come back with more after this. Talking point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about charities this morning. And in studio, Sheila Norden, Debbie Deegan, Sally Ann Clark and Tom McAnini. And some of your texts. Uh, let me see now. Uh, Paddy C in Enfield. Hello, Paddy C in Enfield, my hometown. Tom made a valid point about too many charities doing the same thing. Can you ask your guests for their opinion on why charities are using creative accounting and why none of these charity bosses or the accountants slash auditors are brought before the courts? Do we need to tighten the laws? Are these people using legal loopholes or breaking the laws? So there are a few none and all of that in there. But I suppose this is what this regulator will start to yeah, do. I, I think the issue is like we have been... You you know, because you're a company, you're subject to company law. Company law was designed for private companies. However, there is a standard that has been developed for charities. The Charity Commission in, in England and Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland are adopting it and we expect it to be brought in here. It's called the Standard of Recommended Practice for Charities. It spells out where the money how, where the money comes from and how it's used it's all about and that another text said they visited the To Russia With Love website and the accounts weren't published on it but you can see them all on the CRO the, char- yeah, the, companies, the companies registration office is where yeah. I, I took but it is good practice to put them up even if they're yeah. because they're a year behind Debbie is saying but it's be, but good practice Tom, to have executive your there. pay in charities now a lot of people are critical of that that in some charities the pay is equivalent to what you get in the private sector what's your view on I, pay? For some charities I, I don't see any problem with the the heads of very uh, major international organisations getting the same kind of money that they would be getting in the private sector because in many cases they're being taken from the private sector in order to do that job it's much more important it, it would be um, and people say oh yeah but he's on 140,000 a year and you could get somebody to do it for 100,000 a year yes you could but he's managing a budget or she is managing a budget of 100 million and how much are you going to lose in terms of the the impact that that person is going to have oftentimes for very big charities you need to make sure that that person is reasonably well paid now where somebody is getting excessive pay and maybe some would say 140,000 for uh, for medium sized charities would be excessive for the bigger ones I wouldn't say it is but for where somebody has been paid excessively yes of course it's an issue for 95% of charities I'd say in Ireland where the where the person well for 95% of them the, uh, in a lot of cases the person isn't being paid at all the person running it isn't being paid first of all and secondly in most of those where the person is being paid where the head of it is being paid they're being paid a relatively modest amount there's there, there, there's a few that make the headlines but I would say only a few Tom if we Debbie take the the gods this week say and they can they, 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 all the scandal that broke over yep. them this week and they have a two million top. they all topped themselves up by two million quid yep. like well, for a start, I don't, I don't, I'm not paid a pension, so it doesn't. I, I don't even understand yeah. how that works. But in, this, in a situation like that, where is the? Go- I mean, where is the internal governance there? Where is the? Who's watching that? Yeah, well, where is the accountant that advise them? John of God's is a good could, example. Could, if I can just yeah, sorry, because sorry, just just sorry. just make a quick point. John of God's overall budget, as I understand it, is 150 million euros a year. Wow, 150 million mm-hmm. euros a year. 125 million of that comes directly from the HSE. Okay, directly from the HSE. Now, I would ask, why isn't that just part of the government? 
why isn't that just part of the state? Why is that at this such a? It's only because so it's they shouldn't at be that charity. Route. They shouldn't be called no, a charity. A char- at all, they're not charities I would at all. Actually, they should be brought into the government, and therefore it would be subject to all of the same regulation, all of the same oversight as any other public mm-hmm. hospital in mm-hmm. the country. Um, Salian, um, now perhaps I have a distorted view of what your life might be, but you <laughs> seem to move in a nice, glamorous, exalted kind of circle. <laughs> Looks can be very deceiving. I know that. I really really know that she works very Some, hard I imagine some, <laughs> sometimes it looks like you know there is a clique of um, let's call them ladies who lunch you know and or attend charity fundraisers and their pictures are in the paper and things like that you know is it much much harder to challenge people on what they're doing with the money not for any fraudulent purposes like uh, we were saying before but just because they're not making a good impact and they could be doing it better and how do you start to pluck up the courage to say to them, um, I'm not going to give it to you because I think Concern is doing a better job. Well, you know? I have. Um, and every year we sit down and we say the charities that we as a company are going to support. And I run my own lunch every year for T9. Right. And I have specific um, prices. I know how much everything is going to cost. And again, one of the things that T9 is the money just is locked straight into the bank account. And I tell them how much I got from everybody, how much I had to spend on wine, where I got whatever sponsored. So it's very simple. And anybody that asks me, you know, and they say, how much did you raise for? So like the last lunch, we raised 12,800 euros, which for 85 ladies sitting down for lunch is amazing. Mm. But I was able to tell them how, what food we got sponsored, what I had to spend on and wine. And do they ask you? Do they, they do. Yeah. yeah. No, they, they like do to know. ask. Yeah. I mean, to Children's Club, we've just done a big Strictly. Um, we've 800 people at it. Similar. They're, they're going on all over the country. And at the end of it, all the dancers got all the information. They wanted it. It kept them motivated as well. Mm-hmm. The people who were dancing, they wanted to know what we did. I mean, we changed children's lives basically as an organisation to Children with Love basically changed children's lives and the, the but the more we told the dancers the more the more details they got the more motivated they were to, to fundraise for us so the more information they got on how much we had in the bank how much we spent on everything how much at the end exactly how much it made it made them all feel unbelievably good about what they did which is where and it's why we have loyal donors and who, who actually trust us And sally who's on the board of Teamline how does like do you go to board meetings No or I'm not on the donor? board I'm So what do you know about the governance of that I know what I ask and I look for copies of the books and copies of different things I was on the committee for years with um, Angel's Quest and again at the end of every fundraiser you would get as a committee member and as there would be a letter that go out, would go out to everybody that actually attended the lunch how much was raised where it was spent and where the balance was going and that's what people like to know and that's why you continuously support mm-hmm. these charities that are completely transparent in my book uh, Tom I'm going to put a final point to you it's a text from a woman called Patricia, I raise money for a registered charity. I regularly stand with a bucket in an all weather, all day. I pay my own expenses, transport, lunch, etc. Every penny raised by me goes to the charity. When I organise a local fundraiser, I pay for everything out of my own pocket. I wouldn't dream of taking a penny out. I do feel like a fool now and feel tarnished. Oh, God, no. Everybody who works with our, our, everybody who fundraises for us, for example, does exactly the same thing. We don't have any staff. Um, we pay all of our own expenses. And we we are the people who are shaking the buckets in shopping centres in order to try and get Santa Claus to disabled orphans at Christmas time. And we'll be doing it again at Christmas time. And I'd I'd say to the person who's texting in, think of the person people she's ultimately trying to benefit. Okay. But but and can it, I it, just as they just as she was trying to benefit them before, that same need exists now, irrespective of how much Paul Kelly spent on designer.
circuits. More than okay. ever. More and than ever. so I'm sorry, Sheila no wants problem. to get back in, but I'm out of time. Now, Stephen Dawn from News Talk has written a piece on how can Irish charities avoid scandal on Newstalk.com. Take a look at that. So that's it for today. Many thanks to my guests. Bobby Kerr is up next, reclaiming the high street in Ennis. Eva Breen produced. Marion Kennedy was on sound. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.